Welcome to Mission Business, a podcast about good business for those in the business of good. Presented by your part-time controller, LLC, also known as YPTC. My name is Jennifer Oliva, the host of Mission Business and Managing Partner at YPTC. On this episode, I spoke with Dina Paul Parks, co-founder and CEO of Healthy Humor, a New York-based nonprofit devoted to bringing the principles of medical clowning to a variety of settings where children and others in pain or distress need the distraction, laughter, and comfort that only a healthcare clown can bring. And now my conversation with Dina Paul Parks. Dina, thank you so much for joining us today on the Mission Business Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. I'm so happy to have this chance to have a conversation with you. We've known each other for a while, and now we get to go into the intimate details of healthy humor. So let's, Indeed, let's get since started. The beginning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's start from the beginning about you. Let's start with you. I'm curious Ooh. about um, your journey to healthy humor. You had an impressive 20-year career in public policy working with the Cuomo and Bloomberg administrations. And now you are running a healthcare related arts nonprofit. Um, I guess you could say you're clowning around now or. Uh, Indeed. <laughs> tell me about your journey. Yeah, I had been, I'd worked in the nonprofit sector before in the earlier part of my career and then migrated over to work for the first the Bloomberg administration and then um, the Cuomo administration. And, um, I left right at the beginning, um, well, around the middle of the second, I guess, Cuomo administration and ended up at the, as VP of community programs at the at Big Apple Circus. Very cool overseeing not anything to do with the the big top, um, which is a lot of fun to be attached to that part of the circus, obviously get to go to the circus for free, who doesn't love that. Um, but really overseeing all of the non ring work. So the work in hospitals and schools and nursing homes and all of the other community um, uh, affairs kind of bucket of programming that the circus had at the time. And then um, in 2016, um, the circus was really struggling and decided the management decided to undergo a, a bankruptcy proceedings. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And my partners and I on the community program side were a little concerned about what could eventually happen with the community programs. And we thought, mm, you know, mm -hmm. we think we can save the legacy of this amazing body of work because it was amazing. Um, and so we decided to launch Healthy Humor to basically serve as a launching pad and a safe landing place um, for those programs. That's fantastic. And so Tell us a little about the programs. Um, what are you, what do you do every day? Who, who are you serving? Our flagship program is known as the Red Nose Docs program, and it is a set of performers. We always work in, work in teams of two. Um, so it's two performers who go into uh, pedi mostly pediatric hospitals um, or the, at least the pediatrics um, section or wing of if it's a, a general hospital. Um, and their job is to create moments of joy, wonder, mm -hmm. laughter, and comfort for those children, but I think what a lot of people don't realize, it's not just for the children, it's for their families, it's for the physicians, it's for the janitorial staff, it's for the nursing staff, it's for basically everyone in that space. And what's really special about the work is that they don't kind of go in and do a pre 
prescribed or pre-rehearsed gig, right? This is not about going and do magic show and then leaving. Um, it's very experiential. It's very interactive. It's very improvisational. So if they walk into an emergency room waiting room and there are like 50 people waiting to be seen, wow. um, it's a very different interaction than if they walk into the NICU, which is the neonatal mm -hmm. um, intensive care unit. Mm -hmm. And there, you know, the interaction and, um, and play, for lack of a better word, can be very soft and gentle and tender um, versus walking into uh, the hospital room of, let's say, a 14-year-old kid who just broke his leg and so his soccer season is gone, right? Um, and he's pissed. Yeah. Um, and so that interaction is going to be very different. So it really, what's really special about this work is we meet people where they are and transform that moment for them um, into whatever it needs to be for them. And when they leave, it's like a bit of fairy dust mm -hmm. is in their wake. Um, there's really a shimmer and a sense of magic when they've gone, when they've gone through the space, you can tell it's a fundamentally different space. That is amazing. And the when you're talking about this, it just is making me feel comforted. You know, thinking <laughs> about the children and their families and everyone around them in the hospitals that uh, really need that level of humor, but also uh, love that you guys are bringing. I actually went and shadowed a team. Um, and the very first on what we call clown rounds, of course. Um, and so I shadowed a team at Bronx Lebanon Hospital. I remember distinctly waking up that morning and going, Oh, they're going to, we're, I'm going to go watch the kids, you know, laugh today. It's going to be so cute. And that was my perception of what I was going to see. And, mm -hmm. you know, don't get me wrong. That happens. There's a lot of, there are a lot of giggles. There's a lot of silliness. There's just a lot yeah. of fun. I think what I was not prepared for was the power of the work that really it looks like fun and games, but there's a lot that underlies um, yes. that work. And I remember very distinctly watching a parent watch her child interact with the, with the clowns watching her tears, watch her child. And I remember talking to her afterwards and she said, oh, I, I haven't seen her smile in a week. And I, I haven't seen my kid. I've seen my sick kid, but I haven't seen my kid in a week. And it's a gift to be able to give that back to parents um, and to families and to their siblings. And so I think as a layperson, you know, we go in and we see, when we see a, a person who's sick, we see a person who's sick, you know, we mm -hmm. see the machines, we see the oxygen masks, we see the IVs, and we see somebody who's sick, and the performers go in and they're like, that's a kid. They're able to see the kid first and not the mm -hmm. sick kid, and that that makes all the difference. That's amazing. What? Uh, tell me about the performers. How do you get them? Where do they come <laughs> from? Uh, how do you train them? Yeah. So, um, all of our performers are professionals. So they are trained in some professional artistic discipline and that is how they make their living. So we have artists, um, I mean, literally artists, um, like visual artists. Uh, we have dancers, we have actors, we have puppeteers, we have, um, improv artists. Um, but all of them come to us having made their life Per, um, performing professionally in some space and for some period of time. And we find them the way that, you know, you find um, all sorts of artists. We put out uh, audition notices, you know, where artists and performers and gig performers and variety performers look for work. There are a lot of amazingly talented performers who will just wow you in the studio. And you put them in front of a child who has... Yeah 
burn marks, right? Who mm-hmm. is burned up, you know, 70% mm-hmm. of their body mm-hmm. and they freeze, right? They can't. Yeah. And certainly we aren't going to blame them for that. Yeah, right? that's, that's a very huge, it's very understandable. Mm-hmm. It just means that this is not the right position for you. And we also want to make sure that um, they have the kind of wherewithal um, and sensibility to be of service because mm-hmm. it is a performing arts organization, but we use our art in service to something. So it's not just about, hey, hey, look at me. I'm the star of the show. Um, you really have to have um, a desire to want to be of service and understand that sometimes uh, the show can't go on. And also it's not about you. It's about your audience. Um, are they volunteers? We um, pay all of our performers as professionals. We pay them as the professionals they are. And we pay them not just to do this work, which is incredibly difficult and emotionally demanding, as you can imagine, but because of the emotional toll that they they absorb, they see a lot in the hospital environment and they Mm -hmm. obviously absorb a lot of trauma. Um, And so we uh, provide them with... um, the services of a therapist um, in a group setting once a month. Wow. We provide them with ongoing professional development um, because it's it's a craft. Um, it is an, a discipline, artistic discipline, and we want to make sure that they are operating at the highest levels of artistic integrity at all times. But the, ther- the therapy part is important because it's easy to burn out, and we want to make sure that our artists stay healthy and resilient and are able to do this work for a very long time. Um, and we pay them for all of that. We pay them for their monthly rehearsals. We pay them for their times in in the hospital because uh, we know how difficult this job is. And we know that artists sometimes aren't taken seriously because they look like they're just clowning around and they look like it's just easy. And um, people very rarely understand how hard it really is um, and just how talented they really are. That's true. Uh, And it's really another offshoot of your mission or of the organization to support these artists. Absolutely, because, you know, they are frontline supporting folks who are often having the worst day of their lives um, and they have to be on. You can walk into a room with a child who has it has survived um, a, a suicide attempt and then you have to leave that room and you have to be just as on for that next family that just wants a little music and just wants a little joy and just wants a little magic trick. And so they have to be able to turn on a dime and be on um, for whoever needs them at that moment. That can't, that's not, can't, I, I don't do it, um, but I can't imagine it is an easy task um, to carry all of those burdens and to be on all the time. And so we wanna make sure that they can do their job well. I love what you said about the support that you're giving the artists, because it is such hard work and such demanding work and such emotional work. So absolutely, um, that's a wonderful thing that uh, Healthy Humor is doing in addition to supporting children and families in hospitals. But you also have some other programs. You have these connection workshops. So tell me about those. The connections workshops are uh, one of the places where our um, performers actually take off their noses, take off their costumes, take off their makeup. They actually um, come as themselves. Um, And the idea is not to turn folks who take our Connections Workshop into clowns, but it's to try and teach us some of the tools that the clowns use in their work. So listening intently, figuring how to read a room, figuring out what energy level someone is bringing to an interaction and how do you match that energy level, whether it's to raise it or 
often to de-escalate or diffuse a situation. Um, so we've done it not only in the medical environment, we've done it for schools, we've done it for corporate, fi- corporate um, did it for us. companies. We've, so done, we've done it for you guys. That's right. At your you conference. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and and it's, you know, it's the opportunity to kind of interact in a different way and to connect, you know, sometimes um, co-workers don't know each other. So we've done it for a lot of companies that are merging, right? So you have two different sets of employees with two different cultures, right? That sometimes need a little bit of, you know, handholding and massaging to, to, to really bond them. Um, and the idea really is to kind of take the skills that help people to connect and break down walls um, and teach them in a way that is more accessible. So they use theater games um, and they use interactive exercises. So it's not your typical kind of boring training um, where you sit down I, I, I and kind of, you know, follow <laughs> training. So yeah. So, but yeah, we love, we love the connections workshops. We do them for people in a variety of settings and um, we hope to do more of them going forward. Well, you're doing a lot and you we have are. Far reach. So Healthy Humor is uh, headquartered in New York City, but how far of a reach do you have? I think it's 15 programs across 10 states, um, which during normal times, uh, uh, non-COVID times, um, helped us reach about 600, over 600,000 kids and families a year at those programs, not to mention our vaudeville and hole in the wall and some of our strolling entertainment elements. Uh, that is an expansive reach. Do you have any plans for um, taking it further and, and going to other locations throughout the country? Um, there have been lots of places now where um, the amount of grief and loss and trauma and pain that so many are suffering um, is is all around us. Um, and so our desire to take this work beyond the hospital environment to all of those places um, is something that we're working feverishly on um, in terms of not just hospitals, but um, additional types of programming that will go into all those spaces that um, only art can, right? That where only art can go and where only art can heal. Um, and so that is very much um, front and center in terms of what we hope will be healthy humor's future in the next uh, couple of years. Your part-time controller, the nonprofit accounting specialist, helps nonprofits everywhere navigate the new landscape by supporting them with their U.S.-based remote services accounting staff. With over 700 nonprofit clients from coast to coast, YPTC assists with all your financial management needs. From bookkeeping and monthly financial statements to forecasting, budgeting, and customized dashboards. We help executive directors and board members sleep at night. More at YPTC.com. What um, happened during COVID? How did you um, reach your audience during COVID? And will that also help you expand your reach in the future? So to be honest, when we uh, when we shut down everything in the middle of March last year, um, at first we're like, you know, we'll just get it a couple of weeks, you know, it'll be fine. <laughs> we'll be back in a couple of weeks, maybe a month at the most. Um, pretty quickly figured out that was not going to be the case. We all kind of got together and um, everybody, you know, we started creating, creating virtual content. We figured out how to deliver live virtual visits, which were really interesting using Zoom and an iPad and um the show so, must go on. The show must go on and the show, you know, did go on. Um, and we, I think that certainly by late spring, early summer, I felt like, okay, we have our sea legs. Like we, we can do this. And it was great to discover that, you know, we didn't know how powerful 
that frankly, the work would be over a Zoom and, and over a screen, um, but found it was incredibly compelling. Um, and the hospitals kept asking us for more and more content. And, um, and we did, you know, we had short pieces, we had long pieces, we had straight entertainment, we had um, what we call our tutorials, which were the clowns kind of teaching tiny little tricks to kids, right? So a, a simple magic trick or a simple card trick or um, a bubble trick. Um, so that we created really a, a new catalog um, of programming um, that I think we used, utilized in a variety of ways. And then we were fortunate to be able to actually return in person um, to our very first hospital at Yale New Haven in September. And since then, we've opened up at, a, at two more in person and hoping to do um, even more so this coming June. So we're slowly going back to in person, but we have this amazing catalog now, this library of recorded content um, that I do I think we are beginning to think about what we do with that, but it did open up a really exciting window. And I have to say, again, um, because they're artists, right? Because they're professional performers, part of this was like, oh, this is a new medium. You know, this is a new opportunity to stretch my artistic muscles and to kind of you know, push the craft. You know, you can't take a tuba with you into the into the, you know, into the hospital. But if you're doing an interactive visit on screen, it's a completely different thing, right? It's so an there were, it's an option. Um, so there were, it was just an opportunity to take advantage of, of their creativity and their talent mm -hmm. in a different way. I mean, expanding the artist's reach, but expanding your reach too. You said something about uh, the fact that there's so much grief and uh, sadness and emotion surrounding all the loss over COVID in this uh, past year plus. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is an interesting opportunity to um, expand your support of others. Uh, you know, I can see it working in grief counseling and a lot of Absolutely. other places. Lots uh, of other places. I mean, we've talked, and this was, you know, pre-pandemic, um, we had a, a psychologist um, speak to us um, one time who said to us that part, the reason why the, our, the work that the artists do, that the clowns do is so powerful is the, the, what creates PTSD is that somebody associates a horrible event with something. And whenever that, it's very easy to trigger that particular thing. And then they're right back where that, in that moment of trauma and it mm -hmm. kind of keeps them trapped in that loop. And the psychologist said, what you guys do is you interrupt the process of trauma in like in real time. And so the PTSD actually never develops. And, and, the, and the cleanest kind of most clear example of that I can think about is we had a child who um, at Sloan, at uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, who was diagnosed uh, with a stage four cancer. She was young, like six, six or so, um, you know, made a full recovery after two years of battling this disease with uh, surgeries and treatment, chemo treatments, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and developed a long standing relationship with the clients because we're at work to learn three days a week, right? Um, and she got better and, you know, went on with her life. And then at 13, she's having her bar mitzvah, which is a, mm -hmm. an amazing milestone for a child who was stage four at the age of six, right? Mm -hmm. So it's oh, a huge absolutely. moment in the life of this family and this yes. child. And um, the mother actually reached out to us and said, hey, can you send us the performers who were so critical wow. to her during this time? Because 
when she thinks about her chemotherapy, she doesn't think about the pain. She doesn't think about the the loss of her hair. She thinks about the song and the like running joke that she had with, you know, Dr. You know, Diddley Squatter, you know, whoever (laughs) it was. And so that, that, that power, right. To kind of be a balm in the midst of that type of suffering mm-hmm. in the worst mm-hmm. kind of pain, I think is, um, it's power and its potential, I think is limitless. And so we're going to be searching for those places where we can have that kind of impact beyond the hospital environment. That is truly impactful, uh, to stop PTSD in its tracks in, in some way. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. So let's talk a little bit about the business of healthy humor. Um, sure. After all, this podcast is called Mission Business. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, how do you fund all of this great work? Um, where do you do? Where do you get the revenue? As we get into our finance conversation. <laughs> yes, the finance conversation, which is where you guys have been so key. Um, <laughs> I, so I have to I have to tell you how we came to you guys, right? Because, oh, sure. you know, we were starting out less than zero money. Um, and <laughs> I was looking at different, uh, you know, bookkeeping um, packages and software and was convinced that I, you know, could do it myself. Um, and my husband, who used to work for the Comptroller of New York, um, was like, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't even. And I said, hey, I was like, I'm smart. I can figure it out. Like, he's like, no, no. He's like, it's not about being smart. But, you know, when that auditor comes and they're asking for, you know, general ledger and schedule B and, you know, this, um, this bookkeeping entry, you're gonna, it's like, just don't, don't, don't bother. So, um, from the very beginning, um, you know, when we didn't really have books, uh, I, we went to you guys and, um, I remember some, I, I, I think it was Rachel, but it maybe I have somebody else who, um, I first spoke to, um, who said, Oh, you mean you're not coming in with like a box of receipts? <laughs> I was like, we're so young. We don't even have receipts yet. Um, so you guys really have been with us from the beginning, which I've been very grateful for because we've had really smooth sailing with, you know, all of our books and with every audit. So you guys have kept kept us um, in tip top shape. Um, but we, you know, as a nonprofit, we obviously do an incredible amount of fundraising. Um, but we are also fortunate in that we have relationships with hospitals that um, are in a position to be able to self-fund the program. So um, we we are right now about a 50, maybe 60, a 60, 40, um, mostly earned versus uh, raised revenue um, in terms of uh, our um, budget. And so we have a number of fee-for-service contracts. Um, and then we have a number of foundations that support our relationships with hospitals that don't have the means to um, enter into those type of agreements on their own. During COVID, did you have, did you see a decrease in funding? We did. Um, we did. Um, we had one um, huge funder um, who usually, you know, gives us um, several hundred thousand dollars a year. He was like, eh, we can't this year because they're, you know, they're, they're a business, really they're, they're a corporation and they were, you know, their business was suffering. Um, but they have been with us from the beginning and they were very clear. This is temporary. We're not going anywhere. We believe in your mission. As soon as we bounce back, you know, we'll, we will, the, that relationship is solid. So I anticipate that that will be okay. And then we had probably our other 
largest donor. Um, we had just signed a new agreement with them right at the beginning, right literally like a week before everything hit. Um, and we had spent a great deal of the two weeks prior kind of laying out the milestones of the grant and, you know, when the second um, disbursement was going to come and what we're going to try and do with it and, and all of all of these kind of parameters of the grant. And then uh, literally a week later, they, they sent me an email saying, you know what, just use it as a general support grant because they they knew where they saw where this was going and they understood and i think it was really heartening to have a funder trust your judgment um such that they were like we know who you are we know that you use money well and that you're you know and we know that you're going to have some really crazy needs in this crazy time. So use these resources as you see fit to help ensure that the organization is viable and, you know, it, sur it survives the long term. And so that was an incredible gift um, very early on in the pandemic, like, you know, in March um, of 2020. And it was it's a large grant. So it made an enormous difference to have that freed up to really use however we saw fit. So um, and then obviously the PPP made an enormous <laughs> this um, mm -hmm. amount of difference. It really kind of supplanted, you know, the other large grant that we did not get. And we still saw probably about a third to 35% or so overall reduction for the year. But then, you know, our expenses also went down because the volume, um, as well as the, you know, the volume um, of programming, as well as the frequency of when, of, of how the virtual work was being done. Um, so there was a little bit of commensurate drop um, on both the revenue and um, an expenses side, but uh, the, the those two changes by those two large funders and then the PPP were extraordinarily um, instrumental, I think, in helping us survive. Float. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, we're so grateful to have you uh, as a partner too in the work that we do. And we are really gratified uh, in the fact that the work that we do as accountants helped you serve your mission. We're so happy to be together with Healthy Human. Oh, thank you. That was my conversation with Dina Paul Parks, co-founder and CEO of the New York-based nonprofit Healthy Humor. To learn more about the hilarious and heartwarming work of Healthy Humor, visit HealthyHumorInc.org. Up next, we will hear from YPTC's own Geraldine Dressler with a fun twist on our Ask the Controller segment. Hello and welcome to Ask the Clown, a special spin on our Ask the Controller segment. Our special guest today is Jean-Viev Flatty. Welcome, G. Thanks for being here. Hi. Oh, thank you for having me. So, G, you head up social media for Healthy Humor, but you are also Dr. G, one of Healthy Humor's very talented clowns. So you have a bird's eye view of both the organization's business and programs. So how do you transition between both hats that you wear, literally? So I got into the Healthy Humor family when they were still pretty young, only about two and a half years old. And but for being so young, they'd grown to like 16 hospitals, which is unheard of. And they were operating out of New York and I was opening a hospital out in California. And I like said to Deb, who's one of the founders uh, of the company, I was like, you guys don't have any social media. And she's like, 
yeah. And I was like, you guys should have social media. Who's running your social media? And they were like, eh. and I was like, I'll do it. And of course they were like, you just got here four seconds ago. And I was like, fair. Okay. So I was training with the company and then I was working, you know, regularly. And I still like once a month would be like, Hey, do you guys still want, do you need like a social media position? Do you want somebody? And so I started taking pictures of myself and my work at the hospital and posting it on my social media to kind of give them an example of like, this is what we could be doing on a bigger scale. And then in December, I made them like this like 30 page PowerPoint with all of this research on like, these are the different social media platforms. This is who you would reach. This is how we would approach each one. And these are the benefits, the long-term goals for like two, three, five, 10 years, blah, 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 blah. They said like, okay, we, we have to think about this. This is a big proposal, but we're into it. Enter... March 15th, 16th, when the pandemic hit, they called and they were like, you're hired because we're going completely uh, digital and we now need somebody that knows what to do. And I was like, that's that's me. I was helping them learn how to do the hospital visits that we normally did via Zoom, not only as the social media person, but also as one of the first clowns to do the Zoom sessions with the kids in the hospitals. And I think that was really good that I was doing both because then I knew what we were capable of and what footage we could get versus what we are not capable and what I could tell the clowns um, as their social media director, as well as one of the, the you know, the clowns. Um, and so... It's been it's been a little bit of a learning curve, but now we finally hit like a, yeah, okay, we know what we're doing. That's great. And that's so interesting. So it almost sounds like before the pandemic, there really wasn't much in the way of social media. And then the pandemic really forced you to have a strategy for social. So then I guess then, you know, I mean, your Instagram account is amazing. It really conveys, you know, the importance of the work that you do. And you can, you know, I can see it in, in the, in the kids that interact and I can see just the, the professionalism and in, in the clowns that are, are doing this work. And so, you know, how, how will this change now that we're moving back to in-person, you know, like what, how's that going to change, you know, how you interact with the kids, how it impacts your social media strategy. My first goal with our social media strategy always is to humanize the clowns and show the world that we are professional uh, performers, entertainers, as well as kind of professionals in how to interact with children and care for them emotionally. Because we all live in the in the world, uh, we know that clowns don't exactly have the best reputation. So we are trying to kind of break. It's an uphill battle, but I think we're doing a good job of kind of breaking those barriers. In the middle of the pandemic and in the middle of the rise of TikTok, I was like, this is this is it. This is the way in is like doing real human things. So we started a TikTok platform. So now that we're back in person, uh, you're all only you're just going to see a little bit of uh, fewer Zoom calls. We're not going to completely shut down the Zoom program because we are still doing it with a lot of hospitals that haven't fully opened up yet. But you are now going to see more of our regular work, quote, um, of us actually in the room with the kids and the families and the hospital staff, which is what we we love and we prefer. And that's kind of our home base. So you'll see a lot more of our older posts pre-pandemic, you know, where it's us and the kids and we're like, bah! So. No, that's so great. And that's that's so smart because, I mean, now you know that your reach can be so much greater than just, you know, the immediate interactions that you have in the hospitals. As the wearer of both hats, what do you want people to know about healthy humor that few people may know? What I would like people to really think about is our main goal is to use laughter 
for healing. And there's scientific evidence about when you laugh that it heals you, that it helps you because you release adrenaline, dopamine, um, all of those good things that help your body heal. And so healthy humor, we specialize in using laughter as a medicine, which is such a cliche. I know, but it's so true. If you ask any medical medical professional, they're like, yes, you need those moments of joy and happiness and human connection, real human connection. And that's what we provide uh, for kids. And we have a program called Vaudeville Visits. We visit, you know, people in older folks home or Alzheimer's homes. Um, and we want to expand it to just so much more. And that's like the secret future of healthy humor, hint, hint, of expanding it to not only children in hospitals, but kind of anywhere where we can use laughter for good, which is so cliche, but it's true. It's true. It, it, it's, it's, it's true. And, you know, it actually, I think what has, it, what I have learned is that this is not a nice to have program. Like it's really essential, you know, it's, it's needed and it's part of that healing process and it's grounded in science. So that's fantastic. And, you know, I'm thrilled to get the chance to talk to you today. It was so great to hear about the both hats that you wear as uh, Genevieve and Dr. G. So thank you again for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Mission Business Podcast. We look forward to bringing you more stories of innovation and perseverance from nonprofits around the world. I want to thank the team at PWP Video for their guidance and assistance in the development and production of this podcast. They are a great partner for Media with a Mission, and you can find them at pwpvideo.com. Additional information about this episode can be found at missionbusinesspod.com and follow us on social media at Mission Business Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I want to thank Dina Paul Parks and all who joined us for this episode. This podcast was produced by Erica Blair and Geraldine Dressler of your part-time controller, LLC. Dave Winston and Michael Schweisheimer are our producers from PWP Video, and the show was directed and edited by Pat Ganley. Again, I'm Jennifer Oliva, and we'll see you here next time on Mission Business Podcast, presented by your part-time controller, LLC. LLC.